This is Fan POV Podcast. Welcome back, folks, to Fan Pop. Happy to have you guys in. Hope everybody's doing well. This is your morning shift host, Cowboy Killer Jake. And as always, and I feel like I can say as always, because now we're on our third time in a row, it's official. We got my man, Dougie Fresh over there. Doug, how we doing, my man? Man, football is back, dude. This is the last episode we will do without football. After this, it's smooth sailing for the next six months, man. No doubt, no doubt. Definitely have a lot more to talk about, a lot of interesting things going on. Speaking of interesting, uh, something we're going we're gonna to talk about in this episode are the, the big storylines going into the 2020 season. Uh, but before we do that, we like to start the uh, segment off with uh, the biggest news stories or the headlines for the week. Uh, Doug, what's the first thing you want to talk about as far as uh, the what happened over this la- this past week as far as news? So the first thing I want to get to is kind of an unfortunate news story, man. You never like to see this. It happens two, three times off season where a big name gets hurt. And it just so happens that this year it's Von Miller, man. Von Miller, two days ago, carted off the field with the ankle injury on the last play of practice. At first, it was kind of like they weren't sure if it was going to be season ending, if it was just an ankle sprain. They didn't know. Turns out he hurt a tendon in his ankle. He's more than likely going to need season ending surgery. Yeah, that's a Extremely unfortunate. You know, obviously people would, uh, I don't think anybody would disagree that Von Miller's, you know, easily one of the top three uh, defensive players in the league. And that's a defense too that really can't take uh, too many more hits, especially uh, your commander in chief like that. And uh, that is, that is a shame. I, I feel for, I got a Broncos buddy and uh, he was devastated with this news. And as NFL fans, I feel like we are too. We're, we're robbed of one of the better players in the league for sure. And that's uh, extremely unfortunate for him. Uh, after that, you know, uh, the next thing we want to talk about is uh, Jalen Ramsey getting signed becoming the highest paid cornerback in the league and actually NFL history, to be honest. Uh, Doug, what do you think about that? Is that a good move, bad move? So when I think of Ramsey getting paid, man, I just think of how cap strapped the Rams are and how they had to pay him because of what they traded for him. But man, where in the next three years, where is all this money going to come from? How are they going to sign the guys that they need to sign to stay long-term viable as a team, man? Like I get it. You trade two first-rounders for Ramsey, you have to pay him. You don't have a choice. But was trading two first-rounders for Ramsey the right decision in the first place? Seeing as you have to pay him, I'm not 100% sure, man. And that's just it, too, to your point. You knew of, you know, eventually making that trade, you know, no one put a gun to your head and said you had to go get him. Now, don't get me wrong. Jalen's obviously a a top-tier cornerback in the league. You know, some would argue into the number one. Uh, But, yeah, like you said, you already knew you had – uh, Aaron Donald on the books. You already had uh, Jared Goff on the books. When when you made that trade for him, you know you think somebody in the front office would you know do a little bit more of a forecast, you know, for the future. Because like you said, between those three, I mean, how are they going to pay anybody? They're going to just be signing practice squad guys. And you know, I just think that it's going to inevitably be their downfall. But you know, time will tell. Uh, I can't say I, I trust their uh, their decision making as of late. But see, that's the problem with cornerbacks, man. One year you're dreading going to Revis Island. The next year you're taking weekly vacations, can't wait till he's covering you. Like corners fall off so quick, man. It paying a corner is risky. He could be great this year and terrible next, or he could never be good again. It's just the way the position works. As soon as you fall off, it all goes. It's not one of those positions where you can use your brain or your smarts to stay good for a long time. As soon as your athletic prowess goes, it goes. Yeah, it's a quick downfall. It's not a slow and steady uh, steep. You're right about that. Speaking of signings, uh, you want to talk on uh, the next person we uh, just got a nice little big contract this uh, this week? Man, second, newly second pay, highest paid quarterback in the league, Deshaun Watson, gets the deal he deserves. I think he he he's more than earned the right to be called the second highest paid QB in the league. Lamar Jackson, it's your turn next. I know some would say, Dak, it's your turn, but we got to wait a whole season for that. Lamar Jackson, get that bank account ready because you're about to lot of, add a lot of zeros, buddy. Yeah, no doubt. And especially, uh, like you said, they, he, he earned it. Uh, he's definitely pulled them out of uh, a lot of tricks out of off, out of his sleeve to uh, keep them viable as far as a, a quality team. You know, even just think about that Buffalo game last season in the playoffs. I mean, he, he single-handedly came back and won that game for that whole entire team. Uh not to mention, like you said, he needed to get paid. You know, that's that's just motivation to keep him around because, frankly, I, I don't know that I agree with a lot of his uh, – the moves that have been made by our, our buddy Bill O'Brien there. You know, if I'm Desha- if I'm Deshaun, you know, you, you got to give me some kind of cash to stick around that uh, that dismal, seems to be, you know, deflated team that's that seems to just be 
getting picked off piece by piece, you know, but you know, we'll see how the, you know, he deserved it. Like I said, Dabo compared him to Michael Jordan. I don't know about all that, but you know, time will tell. He, he earned it. You're absolutely right. So Doug, we're going to jump into the 2020 season. Like you mentioned, starts tonight, super geeked looking f- towards the, the season itself. And we're going to touch on some uh, big storylines, things to watch out for things that, uh, you know, keep an eye on intrigued us. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you to you. What's your first thing that you're you're trying to look for this season? So I know we kind of have an order set for how we want to do this, but seeing as the season does start tonight, my first biggest storyline going into the 2020 season is, are we in the midst of a Chiefs dynasty? Like, that word gets thrown a lot, around a lot when a team is really good and they win a Super Bowl. Everybody wants to crown them. Oh, my God, is this the start of a dynasty? This is the first time to me that I've actually felt maybe we are starting a dynasty. They – they bring 20 of their 22 starters back. They seemingly pay everybody that matters. It's crazy where I don't know where they're getting all this money from, but they seemingly pay everyone that matters. They draft a rookie running back in the first round who looks like he's poised to tear the league up. What do you think, man? You think we're we're starting a dynasty, or do you think that maybe we need to pump the brakes and see it another year? To be honest, uh I thought about this when we were when we were discussing it. I, I dude, I can't. I can't question it. I mean, I can't find a whole lot of reasoning to be like, well, maybe this will happen or that will happen. You mentioned it. 20 of 22 starters. They they locked up all their main guys. Uh, if you look at uh, overthecap.com, you can see how they spread the money out, too. They're really smart about it. Something maybe the Rams should, uh, you know, taking a look at themselves like we were just discussing with their with them and their problems but I mean, they're so young too and that's just it. So, they got a good offensive line. They just signed or they inked up everybody that they they needed to. I ah, man, and Mahomes just everything about everything that go that could go right is going right for them, you know. I I, I don't know, I want to say dynasty just yet, but they have such a potential to do it though. You know, I it would not I would not question it. You know what I mean? So I, to be honest, yeah, we'll, we'll see tonight. You know what I mean? I think they come out guns a blazing in the rest of the season, but, uh, man, why not? You know, why? I, I don't know another team that I think that can really challenge them per se, as far as, uh, as a dynasty quote unquote, but yeah, they're definitely the front runners for that, that, that title. I think we're on the same page here, man. Like, I don't know what it is about this team, but they have such a good energy to them. Like when you think of the chiefs, it's nothing but like fun energy, Great offense, like it's just a fun team. And usually, when a team wins a Super Bowl, all the talk is Super Bowl hangover, Super Bowl hangover. You don't hear any of that coming out about this team, man. This team. I think seems- a lot of it. Go ahead. Oh, I was just say <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it too. I believe is you know they got Andy Reid, a veteran head coach. Everybody seems to like. He's not super loud or barky barky. You know he gets along with the players very well. That that's another key component too. I think he has his his veteran leadership as a coach. We'll keep them uh, grounded, if you ask me. And I think this goes to show that Pat Mahomes has kind of came along as a veteran leader as well. Because, you know, usually when there's a young quarterback, they don't always make great decisions. I mean, we see it in Cleveland with Baker. You know what I mean? He he had even won anything, and he was cocky before last year. Like, Mahomes won a Super Bowl, and you haven't heard a peep like that out of him. I think it goes to show, like, the leadership from the top down, man. From the top of the organization to the GM to the head coach. All the way down to their young quarterback, Pat Mahomes, who just got the biggest contract in NFL history. I don't know that I want to say dynasty yet, but it's hard not to think that way when, when it comes to this team, man. They have so much firepower in all the right places. It seems like they're perfectly built for the modern NFL, man. I'm not sure that we won't be talking about this team for 10 years. It's exciting for sure to think about. Uh, speaking of dynasties, I guess the one that the most recent one we could you know, kind of point at is the Patriots. That's another storyline for this season is uh, I think a lot of people are intrigued and no, uh, I'm not telling secrets out of school about this one, but I think a lot of eyes are going to be on New England this year as far as a storyline that I'm looking at is how's Cam Newton going to do with Bill Belichick up there in New England? Can they continue doing what they were doing? Can Bill change up the offense and and be the the head coach guru that everybody you know proclaims? I mean, he is, don't get me wrong. But, you know, he's had Tom Brady for t- almost 20 or 20 years, you know, so this is going to be a huge change. I, I'm intrigued to see what happens with Cam Newton, whether or not they can continue. What are you thinking about that? So the major, like the big headline is going to be Cam, Bill Belichick. Every headline is going to have that. But to me, the real headline should be, is Josh McDaniels the guru we think he is? 
When it comes down to it, you know Bill runs the defense. And what it seems like, what we've heard, is that McDaniels runs the offense now. McDaniels, we've seen what you can do with Brady. I think I could have done that. You know what I mean? That was Brady's offense, not McDaniels' offense. Now let's see how smart you really are. You bring in a whole different style quarterback in Cam Newton. Can you form an offense around this man, around a man that was a former MVP? So we know it can work. Can you form an offense that can fit his strengths and hide his weaknesses to prove that you are the man that you say you are, like that you deserve to take over this New England job whenever Bill Belichick steps down? Because that's what it seems like he's being primed for. So that that's the real storyline to me. McDaniels, like, are you the guru that a lot of people think you are? What's your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, I mean, kind of to that point, I always love when everybody, uh, the reason Adam Gates got so much uh, credit when he was coming out, because he was Peyton Manning's QB coach. Like you said, boy, like, uh, you really had to work hard to do that one, I, my man. Like, uh, you and I could have done that. Uh, you're right about Josh McDaniels. I think it's intriguing. Um, they just, you know, it's such a unique it's just it's a complete 180 as far as like quarterback style you know like cam can run cam is cam's a big body guy he can he can take the hits and everything like that tom wasn't exactly uh mr sprint around the field if you, you know what i mean but it's intriguing and to that point too uh you know you mentioned mcdonald's offense i'm intrigued to see what bill can do with his defense you know he's lost what four players on his defense as starters you know how, how can he keep that together and uh put the people in the right places to uh basically get over that you know what i mean give get over that hump you know it, that's that's a huge loss to them too but yeah let's see about i'll see about mcdaniels uh you know he didn't really show us a whole lot in denver but he also had tim tebow to work with but uh yeah cam's obviously a step up from that uh right yeah I, you're right about that it's it's gonna be an interesting season for them i just don't you know they didn't put a whole lot with cam you know they cut uh muhammad sanu i mean who's really there you know what i mean i, I kind of feel for cam you know i know edelman's still there Let's see if Nikhil Harry can do something. You know, that first-round pick, he hasn't really done, shown us a whole lot, but it'll be intriguing for sure. I think it helps if they play, you know, in the AFC East, but yeah, and no I, offense. I kind of no think that's Mike. what it comes down to is can that skill group step up and do their job? I think Cam's going to come in prepared and do what he needs to do, get done what he needs to get done. But I think it's on the guys like Nikhil Harry to take a step forward. Can he start creating separation? We know he's a big body guy who can who's great at the point of catch, but can he create some separation? Can he get open for Cam Newton? Julian Edelman, you know what I mean? Like he's older now. He's he was older last year. He was older the year before that. So that, I mean, what's that make him now? He's a, he's a fairly old man. Can can he still create separation and from the slot get open? Can he play to Cam's strengths after being that? safety blanket for Brady all these years like his game's gonna have to change a little bit then you got like just all from Nikhil Harry to Edelman down you got the running back situation where there's you got James White Sony Michelle Damian Harris somebody needs to step up and be a viable running back and they have a lot of questions in the skill group they don't really have a tight end like someone needs to step up and help Cam out I think Cam's gonna come there and do everything he can to succeed I just don't know that he has a skill group to make it work Right. They did draft two tight ends in the third round this year. They got the the one pass catcher uh, out of uh, Virginia Tech. You know, yeah, I think Dalton Keene. Yeah, he's he's a big boy. Uh, you know, he's no Gronk, obviously, but you know, you never know. Yeah, you're right about all that. Uh, what's the next? What's the next big headline you're looking at, my man? So this is one I'm going to be watching closely, and maybe our listeners won't find this as intriguing if you're not from this area of America, but. For us up here, Cleveland football is all we hear about. The Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns, they haven't been good in forever. I don't know why we hear about it, but a big headline for me is, is Baker Mayfield more rookie Baker or sophomore Baker? We saw two different Baker Mayfields in the last few years. His rookie year, he broke the rookie touchdown record. He looked amazing. Coming into the sophomore season, all we heard is how good he is, how good this offense is going to be. They added Odell Beckham Jr., just wait, just wait, just wait. And then the sophomore season happened, and as we saw last year, he struggled. He looked lost behind that offensive line at times, running for his life, couldn't hit open receivers. He started looking homeless, growing out all the facial hair, facial hair, the mustache. Like The memes were incredible. My big question is, which Baker is he? He needs to show something this year, or we're going to start labeling him that bus category. I'm curious to you, which Baker do you think he is? 
Well, anybody that listens to this podcast knows I am not the biggest Baker fan. I think it's completely on him this year. If he doesn't succeed this year, you need to move on to your you know twenty eighth quarterback. You know, started in the last twenty years. I dude, there's such a regression. That, like you said, you go all that in four, you know in fourteen games his rookie year because he came in for Tyrod, and then he had sixteen games last year. He had less passing yards last year. He had the second most interceptions in the league last year with 21. I mean, that's literally over one a game. Uh, I think it comes up to uh, 1.3125 or some, something that, like that. And that would have been first in any other year if Jameis Winston wasn't out here handing the ball off to opposing quarterbacks. Yeah, it took Jameis about halfway through the season to realize what his uh, he was playing for the Buccaneers, <laughs> no doubt. But, dude, I mean, honestly, I'm not I'm not huge on Baker. I think he was a prodigy of Rink, uh, Lincoln Riley coming out of uh, Oklahoma. I think this game's a little bit too big for him. But you know, like they shored up the offensive line. They signed Jack Hockman. They drafted uh, the guy out of uh, Alabama for the left tackle. Uh, they they have a solid center. You know, they got the run game. You know. I don't know if there's a better duo between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the league. Same with the wide receivers. You know, you got, you know, like you mentioned, Odell, you got his buddy Jarvis from LSU too. The tight ends, you know, they just signed Austin Hooper. And, you know, obviously they had uh, Njoku. And then Kevin Stefanski in his offense, I think that will, I'll give Baker at least this, the the last year that he had Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, calling the plays and everything like that. I mean, who, who can deal with that? I mean, I'm surprised Freddie Kitchens has a job right now, Doug. Like, who, 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 what franchise is silly enough to sign that man? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the fate of but, Daniel Jones' future relies on quarterback coach Freddie Kitchens. What a, what a, I mean, that is with, like a terrifying nightmare statement if I've ever heard one for a Giants fan. With, with Jason Garrett, the clapper to boot, you yeah, know, as Jesus. a coordinator. But yeah, back to Baker, my man. I, uh, dude, this is, he has, there's no excuse for him not to uh, be successful. You know, this is completely on him. I think uh, this year will this year will be, you know, the the time the time will tell. But if you're if I'm betting on it in Vegas, I'm saying that uh, yeah, he doesn't do it for me, man. I'm sorry, I just haven't seen enough from him, and I'm not I am not a Baker backer, if you will. So for me, I don't know why, but I tend to swing like one way or the other when it comes on Baker. When he came out, I think I bought the Kool Aid a little too much, and I was like, you know what? Maybe Baker can be viable. He's so accurate over the middle of the field. I know he's smaller, not very fast, so maybe he can be viable, right? Then the rookie year happened. I bought all in. I'm like, you know what? I actually think the Browns are going to be pretty good this year. They add Odell Beckham Jr. I'm a huge Odell Beckham Jr. fan. I'm thinking, okay, this is going to succeed. And then I see him last year, and I swing to the complete other end of the pendulum. And I'm like, okay, this guy sucks. I don't think he can be much. He looks just lost out there. Like he was playing at a different speed than every other NFL player. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I mean, I don't think we really know yet because like you said, he was out there playing with one hand behind his back with Freddie kitchen calling plays, man. When that offensive line wasn't succeeding last year, what they needed to do was get the ball out quick, try to just get easy completions. And instead Freddie thought the idea was to take a seven step drop hold the ball, try to run away from the defensive line. Like it didn't make any sense when I, and I watched a lot of Browns games last year. I don't know why I did that to myself, but it didn't make any sense. The plays that Freddie Kitchens was calling. So I think this year is going to say a lot. I think he does have a, at least somewhat proven offensive coach. I mean, he made it work in Minnesota for, for that group of guys. And I don't think that Baker is much different than Kirk Cousins in the fact that his upper bound ceiling is about, is Kirk Cousins, really. So hopefully Stefanski can get it together. Baker can get it together. I think the league could be more fun when Odell and Baker are winning. But ultimately, only time will tell. And I wouldn't be surprised if we write him off this year or if next year we're talking about him being a stud again. Like It could go either way, but like you said, it's all on Baker. This whole Brown season is on the shoulder of Baker Mayfield, for good, better or for worse. And that's just it. And I don't think he's terrible enough that, you know, even if he isn't successful this year, that he wouldn't still end up being a backup somewhere. You know what I mean? No, he's not, not gonna be like Johnny. Yeah, he's not going to be like Johnny Manziel and just be completely out of the league. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, like you said, time will tell. And, uh, unfortunately, like you also mentioned, the area we live in, we get the uh, Cleveland Browns 1 p.m. local local game every week. So, you know, it's, that, that helps you uh, feel a little bit better about watching a lot of those games last year. You, didn't, you, you choose between the, the Lions and, uh, and the Browns in this yeah, area. So I'm guessing the NFL folk- Sunday ticket gets half their sales from Northwest Ohio because, man, they're tired of watching these garbage teams every Sunday at 1 p.m. <laughs> Seriously. That's not even – 
<laughs> that's that's no lie. So uh, another thing we wanted to kind of touch on too, uh, looking at the Tennessee Titans, were they a flash in the pan last year? Are they going to be able to continue their success? You know, they just inked up uh, our boy Tannehill. He got his, he got paid. Derrick Henry got his money as well. Uh, is this a team that's going to be continue the success they had last year, or uh, are we seeing uh, a flash in the pan? So. I'm not going to lie. I don't buy into this Tennessee Titans team at all. And that's not even something I think I've said out loud yet. I don't think I've told anyone that. But when I look at this team, everything about them screams unsustainability. Like, when I look at their defense, it's just a meh defense. It's an average defense that played like an elite defense last year. So maybe, maybe all the credit goes to Vrabel. And maybe he is a defensive guru. You know, that's that's what he was when he was in the NFL. But their defense is just meh. Their quarterback they paid $100 million for, again, meh. Like, I don't – to me, Ryan Tannehill is, is nothing more than just a career journeyman. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be a starter, but I am saying I would never pay him $100 million myself. This is an offense uh, where all their success came behind Derrick Henry, who – by all standards last year, kind of put up like an outlier season. He's a big bruising running back who thrives on getting a lot of touches. I understand that, but I don't see him being a 1,700-yard rusher every year. It just doesn't seem sustainable to me. A.J. Brown was a guy who all his yards came after the catch. He's now their number one. He wasn't a guy that created great separation. They just, like I said, their whole season seemed like a fluke to me, and I, I don't think that they – they proved that it wasn't. I, I don't see them being anything more than a nine-win team this year, if I'm being honest. Wow, interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, buddy boy. I'm going to have to butt heads with you on this one. I, I think they're pretty de- legit. Uh, I've watched a lot of Tannehill uh, back in the day when Mikey P and I were in the you know hanging out a lot. I caught a lot of those Dolphins games. I always liked Tannehill. I thought he got a bad rap in Miami once he got his knee like basically broken in half. Right. Uh, and he came in last year. I think he saved that season for them. You know, in the la- he had the highest QBR rating as a as a starter last season of all the quarterbacks from the time that he was in. You know, came in as a starter. I, I like him. I don't know about 100 million, but you know, you mentioned AJ Brown. I think he's a rising star. You know, I got my little uh, my little man crush on AJ. Corey Davis too, like you mentioned. So AJ's going to the number one spot. Maybe Corey Davis. That's what he needs to be the number two guy. You know, not getting all the. Uh, the attention from cornerbacks and everything like that. You know, he, he was a, a what a top five pick, a first rounder, yeah, coming out of Western Michigan. Like he looked legit for a hot second, but then you know, like you said, he didn't fall in that role very well. I like their tight end too, Jonu Smith. He's a rising star, uh, my personal opinion. And you kind of you touched on Derek. You know, Derek leads the league in touches as far as like carries. I think he had uh, four hundred last year ish. That's a lot. And eventually, those wheels are going to fall off. I think that helps out. The fact that you, you know, they tend defenses tend to put a little bit, you know, eight in the box with Derek, uh, so that kind of helps out Tannehill with his uh, downfield throwing. To me, the only th- my my biggest question is is can they sustain that offensive line? They're average last year, a little above average, but then you know Jack Conklin, like we mentioned, goes to Cleveland. You still got Taylor Lewan, who's a you know top top five, maybe top eight left tackle out there. They drafted a couple guys this year. Uh, defense, you mentioned it, it's average. But, you know, that's what Rabel did at, at, at New England before he came in the head coach of the Titans. Maybe he is that guru, too. Maybe he's one of the few that actually shut the hell up and listened to Belichick and took notes, unlike so many other the coordinators have left and failed. I mean, personally, I think uh, I like Tennessee, to be honest. I, I like the fact that they play in the division they do. I'm not. We just talked about Houston. I think they got they, they're superior to Houston, in my opinion. Um, Jacksonville, I mean, we all you know, we all know about that dumpster fire i don't even know how to to word that one but that should be an easy two wins and indy you don't know what you got with philip rivers i just think that with the division they play in and the fact that you know you still Derek's gonna get his touches and, and he's gonna he's gonna take the attention away and i think Tannehill does just enough to be viable and win games for you but and you know time will tell <clears throat> go on and don't hear what i'm not saying like i don't think they're gonna be absolutely terrible I just feel like the narrative around the Titans this year is they're ready to make a bigger push than they made last year. They won, what, 10 games last year, stuck in in the wild card. I think that's their upper bound ceiling. I think, 
like you said, Tannehill came in and led the league in QBR last year. I, I don't think Tannehill's a bad quarterback, but he definitely isn't somebody who's going to lead the league in QBR. Derrick Henry, I don't think a team can run behind one running back without being creative. Like all the teams that we see that are run heavy in the league are Kyle Shanahan, Harbaugh up there in, in um, Baltimore. They're all creative run schemes. It seems to me like the Derrick Henry experiment is load up the box. Our guys are bigger than yours. We're going to outmean you. And when you lose someone like Conklin, I just, I don't think that is like, I don't think that can be your main way of running an offense in the long run. I just, I don't think that's sustainable. And like I said, I think they win nine, eight, nine games this year. Luckily for them, like you said, they play in the AFC South. So they get a couple of free wins along, along the way, but I just don't see them winning more than nine, eight, nine games. Fair enough. With that being said uh, though, go ahead. My bad. I said, I said, I like how you mentioned they, they snuck in the wild card and that's their ceiling. I was like, well, they snuck in the wild card and then they ended up in the AFC championship game. And uh, I was actually, was actually winning against uh, uh, the chiefs for a hot second. That didn't last very long, but you know, AFC championship game. I mean, that's right. You know, for, sure, for, for, sure. for, for a ceiling, that's not a bad ceiling. Maybe I but, should uh, t- change my take because people say the same thing about the Packers as if like, Oh, they're not that good. And I always say they snuck into the NFC championship, but then I'm quick to bash the Titans. So maybe I need to just reflect inward and kind of figure out why I don't like him. I don't know what it is. Like I said, I just don't think it's sustainable long-term. I hear you. I hear you. With that being said, though, I want to get onto one of the storylines that I can't wait to hear your take on. And this one for me is, does Dak earn that huge contract extension this year? We all know what happened in the offseason. Was he going to get paid? Wasn't he going to get paid? Dak and Jerry putting out headlines weekly. We didn't know if a a big long-term deal was going to get done. Ultimately, he signs the franchise tag. He plays this year on a one-year deal. Everything looks like he's primed and ready to go this year. That offense is loaded. What I want to know is, does he play up to the level he needs to earn that huge contract extension? So here's my thought about this. Uh, And it's not just Dak. It's, It's damn near every player in the NFL that's playing on a contract year like this. Dak, like you said, is on a one-year deal with this franchise tag. He is, I feel like it's just a, a psychological mentality of people that they just want to ball out on that contract year. It's just like when we had DeMarcus Ware and he had that 20 and a half sack season on his contract year. There's a hundred other players you can go through. And that's the first thing I was thinking of. But to me, I think that he is going to ball out this year. And you, everybody listens, you know, I'm the cowboy killer. I like to rip on so many different aspects of our team. Uh, and especially Dak, you know, I, I think I've mentioned that there's 12 other quarterbacks easily in the league I'd rather have. But this year, uh, I'll put in, I'll put my uh, he, he's my horse. I'm ready to run with, man. Uh, I think he can get it done. I think he will, and I think he's playing for that contract. And even if he, uh, you know, if it's not Dallas that he stays with, you know, for whatever reason, he, he you know, he's showcasing himself. He's showing the league who he is, what he can do. And he's going to get a big contract one way or the other. And I think it's going to be because of his play. Now, the thing that makes me a little nervous is. You know, we lost Travis Frederick, our center, to, you know, in the offseason. We just lost Lyle Collins, our other uh, offensive lineman. That that scares me a little bit because we really don't have a whole lot. You know, we still got Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, but, you know, he just lost two two of his starters from, from this time last year. Uh, but, man, with those weapons, I mean, you have Zeke. You got the three, the three wide receivers, uh, arguably, you know, the best trio in the league. You know, we don't know what C.D. Lamb is just yet, but, you know, for all intents and purposes – and Blake Jarwin's not terrible. He just got he has a lot around him. It's kind of in the same aspect as Baker, uh, except for with a higher a higher ceiling, I believe. Um yeah, but just the fact that he's on the contract here, man, I, I think he balls out. So yeah, to me, this is the ultimate prove it year for any player. The knock on deck was two years ago when that offensive line wasn't top in the league, when it was kind of when it was beat up. He didn't play too well, and everyone was like, oh, see, he needs a great offensive line to play well. And like you just mentioned, Frederick left in the offseason. He was kind of a shell of himself last year anyways after getting sick. And then Leo Collins just got hurt. If Dak can go out there, because the public narrative is, oh, my God, this Cowboys offense is stacked. You know, the public doesn't even think about pieces on the offensive line, things like that. They kind of just see all the the flashy names, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Blake Jarwin, they see all the fancy names. They pick them all high in their fantasy drafts, and they think, well, 
Dak has to succeed without even thinking about the offensive line. So if Dak goes out there and does play to the level I think he's capable of and sets the league on fire like I think he's going to, he's going to get paid, paid. I'm letting you know right now, I would not be surprised if he goes out there and sets the league on fire this year and honestly actually beats that Deshaun Watson deal next year. I don't think he gets to Patrick Mahomes level because I think people are going to be scared to give out big deals like that because there are no fans in the stadiums this year and how that's going to affect the salary cap. But I'm letting you know right now, I think he could get paid more than Deshaun Watson, whether it's by you guys or somebody else. But if he goes out there and sets the league on fire this year, he's going to get paid, paid. And I th- I full, fully plan on seeing him set the league on fire. And that hurts me because that means he sets the NFC East on fire. But that's my my expectation, man. Yeah, and to that narrative too, especially like you mentioned with the COVID and the fact that we have a new head coach, Mike McCarthy, coming in. With everything that's going on, and basically coming into a brand new, uh, you know, uh, head coach, if he can ball, if he can ball in this situation, you know, who's gonna who's gonna fall or you know, poo poo him after this? You know what I mean? Like it is also it is too nicely set up for him and his narrative as far as uh, getting paid after this. So you know, obviously, fingers crossed. But I'll be ready week two to be like, this guy's a bum. Did you see that? Oh my god. <laughs> Hopefully not though. Uh, so another team that we want to talk about too as. Well, more so a quarterback, I suppose, is uh, you think Seattle will let uh, Russell Wilson cook like he has been? You know, we we like to say he likes to simmer behind that line because, you know, he just runs around and makes the place for everything. Are they going to help him out? What's going on with Russ in Seattle, you think, my man? So uh, this one's a tough one for me because I I mean, I think I speak for every fan that watches the NFL. I would love to see Seattle just say, "Okay, here, Russell. Take the ball, throw it 45 to 50 times a game. Show us what you can do. I just don't see it happening. I would love it. With all those wide receivers he has, he has Lockett, he has Josh Gordon, he has DK Metcalf. With all those wide receivers, it would be so fun to just see him go out there and throw the ball 50 times a game. But here's the problem. For the last three, four years, Seattle has been built on run first. And it would be different if they were bad, but they keep winning. So why fix what isn't broken? I see why Pete Carroll doesn't give him the ball because they perennially make the playoffs. They make late playoff runs by running the ball first. First down, up the middle. Second down, up the middle. Oh, crap. Russ, save us. And he does. It works every time. I get that's not a great logic to think, like to have, not a great mindset to have, but it works. So why would they ever switch it up? Like, I don't see them letting Russ cook as much as I want him to. I would love, I really would love to see him throw the ball 50 times a game because I think he's special beyond what we even realize. I think he is the elite talent in the league when it, at the quarterback position. And I know that's kind of a, that's kind of hot takey, but I, I really do mean that. We, For those of you that don't know, me and Jake don't just hop on this podcast weekly and this is the first time we talk. We talk sports 24-7. Every day a week. Sometimes I I feel bad for how much I blow this guy's phone up. But one thing we universally agree on is Russell Wilson is special, man. We've been watching football for a long time, and this guy is special in every sense of the word. So I would love to see them let him cook, but I just don't think it happens. Do you? Like, do you think they let him cook this year? Or what, what do you think happens? Well, he is Mr. Unlimited, so <laughs> his potentials, you know. God, I can't get over that. I mean, here's the thing: it's 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 very intriguing to me, and, and to the point of the, the being a run first team. Their offensive line, if you look at uh, uh, PFF and their rankings, their their running their rush uh, offensive line blocking is top six in the league. Their pass blocking is 22nd in the league. It seems like every time that, you know, when you talk about letting him back there and simmer and throw the ball, I just don't think that Pete Carroll trusts his line to do so. He hasn't built, he hasn't gotten the guys that are the pass blockers. I mean, how many times, and we mentioned before, like you see him scrambling for his life, you know, he makes the place happen and everything. And to your point about him being a special player, you know, he does. And I just don't think they give him a lot of help as far as that goes. I wish they would have gotten an offensive line, you know, in this draft or even last year's draft. You know, I, I'm kind of questioning their uh, def- 
their first couple of picks this year. I know they traded back into the second round. Got some guys, you know, on defense that are kind of like, eh, I don't know about this cat, but I wish they would just give him more help. And like you said, let him, you know, just air it out. You know, there's going to be a point in time where, you know, he's not exactly a spring chicken anymore. I think he just turned 30 this year. You know, that's not crazy old for uh, a quarterback, but it's getting there. You know, there's going to be a time where those legs kind of, you know, they're not going to be there for him to save the day. And they need to start doing something now to ramp it up. Right. Uh, as, far, as far as this season and simmering, I would love to, man. You know, I think DJ Metcalf, I kind of, I was a little, I won't say a hater, but when he came out last year, you know, when, when Tom Brady's cone drills faster than DJ Metcalf's in the, in the combines, you know, when they compared him, like, that's that's bad. But, and his, his, his uh, narrative was, you know, he's just a, a streak down the field, but if you noticed last season it, and Pete Carroll had talked about it, he'd worked on his uh, his passing route or his passing tree route, yeah, and he tree. started running. He, yeah, what did I say? Jesus, I'm all over. Yeah, his route tree. Uh, but he's he's running different. He's running different routes now. He's not just doing the straight down the field. I think DJ last year in the last like maybe six games or so, like you're like, whoa, maybe he is a badass. You know, like he. I think the sky's the limit for that cat now. Uh, it's, it's so fun and intriguing to think about him and uh, and Russ, you know, together. Like you said, Josh Gordon, uh, man, you know, I don't even I, honestly. When you were listing the wide receivers, I was, I was even. He's not even a factor to me just yet, man. Yeah, I don't I mean, how think, many times? I don't even think he's reinstated yet. He's just a he's just a name that you can put on the marquee and people as a third wide receiver. Yeah, and it's just it. Like, how many times have we had this story? You know, like right. what this would be the third. Is this the third time he's came back to the league after you know booting? I think booted him back. Seriously, like, you know, I, I can't even, you know, but you mentioned Lockett, though. I like Lockett a lot. Uh, I don't know about their tight ends. It seemed like the uh, Greg Olson lo- back there, man. Old yeah. reliable. <laughs> Old reliable. It's going to be like Jason Wynn of last year. You know, he's just going to be he's just going to be there. A guy, I guess. I always like Greg Olson, but man, same same idea, man. Like he he's old, man. He's, he's yeah. there's not much left in the tank. Right. Hopefully Chris Carson can stay healthy and uh, help help Ross out in that aspect with the run game. But. It's all. It all depends on that, and I just like I said. I think it's more their offensive line not being the best pass blockers, and and Pete Carroll trying not to get Russ killed out there. But uh, like you said, man, he is a he's a fun player to watch. I mean, he's not he's a goofy dude, but as far as his play on the field, I mean, I don't care how goofy you are if you're winning me Super Bowls. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just a couple points I wanted to touch on. Like when it comes to the whole DK Metcalf thing, Pete Carroll is a genius in the way that he used him. I don't know if you noticed, but Metcalf did diversify his route tree a little bit, but the routes he was running last year were still like deep down the field posts, stuff where he didn't have to cut on a dime. You didn't see him catch many slants. It was more of, okay, yeah, you're not going to run the nine route, but here's a deep post where you can still show off your 4-3 speed. It was His route tree did diversify to a, to a certain extent, but it still was long developing deep down the field routes, and it worked out. You know, I – I don't know that he has a future in being like a great route runner. He can come so far, but at the end of the day, it's all about get that man who's 6'4", incredibly shredded, who runs a 4-3-5, get him running down the field and let him high point the ball, and they did a really good job at that. Second, yeah, for sure. He, go ahead. Oh, I was going no, to say to that point, uh, to that point, I was going to say, yeah, he's definitely not going to be a Larry Fitzgerald who can change up his whole entire uh, mantra as a wide receiver and keep in the league forever. Basically, once he's done, he's done. I, I agree with that as far as the ability to to further that that route tree. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then something that I don't think is talked about enough, and I think this is really what sealed Russell's fate as far as letting him throw the ball a lot. If you notice, they were all behind Russell Wilson going into that second Super Bowl. They even chose to throw the ball on the one-yard line rather than give Marshawn Lynch the ball. And to me, that showed that they wanted Russ to, to be the MVP. They wanted him to be the leader of that franchise. They didn't want they didn't want to give Marshawn the ball right there. And once he threw that pick, I think in Pete Carroll's mind, consciously or subconsciously, he said, that, that sealed it. I'm not going to overwork my quarterback. I'm not going to use it. Let's just stick to what we know. We're good at running the ball. Let's run the ball. And I think that still carries on in 2020. As crazy as that sounds, I think that haunts him, man. He knows he should have two Super Bowl rings on his hand, and he oh, only has one. Absolutely. That's arguably the biggest questionable call in, you know, Super Bowl history, to be honest. You know, I mean, yeah, that's that will that will go to uh, Pete Carroll's grave with him. You know what I'm saying? For sure. But, but uh, yeah, I agree. So, uh, 
So for, for me, I want to give another topic, man. I, this is one that I'm sure all the listeners knew was coming, and I'm sure they really wanted to hear about this one. But to me, this might be the biggest topic going into 2020. How much does Tom Brady have left in the tank, man? It's a good question, my friend. Uh, you know, he's 43 years old. You know, I know he's on uh, the craziest diet ever seen by any professional athlete ever, damn near. Uh, man. I want to believe in Tom. You know, it's not even a Michigan thing. I just generally think he's he's a talent. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's fun to watch. Now, are we going to get like, you know, it's kind of it reminds me a lot when Peyton Manning went to Denver and the first couple of years he balled out. And then that one that last year, even ironically, when they went to the Super Bowl, he just it was like a complete just like going 60 miles an hour to, you know, slamming on the brakes like. Peyton fell off quick that year and that year. I mean, how would he only have 180 yards passing in the Super Bowl? I mean, that Man, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he only had 11 touchdowns and 18 interceptions for the whole season. I know Brock yeah. Osweiler played a decent yep. amount of games, but man, it yeah, fell off fast. Well, well, it wasn't, have a, it wasn't like he was a, playing bad between the ears. The guy was out there throwing ducks. <laughs> right. Well, when you had 11 touchdowns and 18 interceptions, like you said, you know, there's a reason Brock Osweiler had to come in. The right. fact that they put in Brock Osweiler, you know, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so to that point, like I don't know, like you have to think at some point, Father Time's going to catch up, and, and you're going to see that decline in regression in Tom Brady. Uh, you know, the fact is, is he's he's in a situation he's not, you know, in a good, in a positive way. You know, he's got actual receivers to throw to now. He's got a, eh, I won't say a, a decent, well, not with London Fournette. You know, he's got viable running backs. I just, you know, I I don't want to see it per se because I love watching them, but. Like I said, man, Father Time's got to catch up sooner or later. I don't know if it's going to be this year per se, but man, how disappointing would you be if you were Tampa and that was this, and he had that eleven touchdown, eighteen interception season like Payton did? You know, like there's so many people riding high on him, and they're deservingly so. But at the same time, man, like I said, forty three years old, bro, like that's 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 up there. I think what he's the second oldest. Well, Vinny Testaverde, who <laughs> stayed in the league forever too, but it's insane to me. What do you think about that? So I think. It's interesting to see because I don't think enough has been made of the fact that he is old. Like a lot of people don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't talk about it at all. They act like, Oh, this is just going to work. I don't, I don't see any talk at all. of Oh, this couldn't, this might be his Peyton Manning year. You know, he is getting old. Like not enough is being made of that. Now, do I think that's what happens? I don't think that he just completely comes out and flops. I don't, I don't see that happening. But what I could see happening is that that offensive line doesn't step up and play to the level that he's used to. That's the one thing he can say in New England. Yeah, they didn't give him great like pass catchers at all times, but he never, ever ate the turf much. He, he never, never was sacked a lot. So playing behind what could be a bad offensive line could be his downfall. Does he have all the weapons to make it happen? Yes. Do I think he'll make it happen? More than likely, I don't think that this offense all of a sudden has, with him at the helm, has the potential to be that Denver offense that we saw Peyton lead his first year. And I think that's what a lot of people expect. I mean, all the headlines are how good this offense is going to be. And don't get me wrong, I do think this is a top 12 NFL offense. But I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. He is 43. He is coming into a new system, a year where there's no preseason coming to a coach who is of the exact opposite mindset of everything he's ever known in his NFL career. I mean, could Bruce Arians and Bill Belichick be any more opposite than what they already are? So I think it's going to have a little bit of growing pains, but ultimately I think it does work out. I think they're a playoff team. I think this offense has some firepower, but I see, I look to see, see it pick up in the second half. I don't think they come out week one and show that they have crazy firepower. They do play the Saints, so maybe they – I mean, that could be a shootout just because that's the nature that the Saints play, but we will see. You know what I mean? Only time will tell. I do think it ultimately works out. Yeah, it's, an, it's a nice narrative to think that, you know, Tampa could potentially be the first team to actually be in the city you – know, the team from that city being in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl being in Tampa this year. You know, it's never happened before. I know Minnesota was close. They were close. <laughs> a few years ago, but, uh, yeah, that'd be intriguing. Miami's been – oh, night. No, never mind. Sorry, Mike. Uh, so the last topic we're going to talk we're going to talk on here real quick is uh, 
Baltimore's offense, does it is it sustainable? Do you think they're going to be able to continue doing what they do, the ground and pound, and uh, letting Lamar just run run loose and all that jazz? Or uh, are, we, are we seeing defensive coordinators catching up to it and uh, maybe having uh, a scheme or two to kind of put the kibosh on that? Well, if you heard our 2020 hot take episode, my hottest take, the one I got roasted for the most, was the fact that I think the Ravens have a, a slight chance to go 16-0. Oh, so no, 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 co- no. You can't say slight now, bro. Now it's slight chance. Well, no, what that's what a hot take is, you know, something that has 15 to 20 percent chance of happening. Believe me, I've gotten roasted for saying that from some of my closest friends. But here's the thing. I think that tells you all you need to know about me. I think it is sustainable. I think the fact that you have to pay attention to so many moving parts with them having Lamar Jackson, who could run the ball. Mark Ingram, who could run the ball. Say Mark Ingram's in the game with J.K. Dobbins or with Gus Edwards. They got Marquise Brown that can break break a defense off over the top. Like, There's so many moving parts in such a simple offense, and they keep it so simple in the fact that it's easy. Like, get You get the chunk yards where you can, and they, they come so easily. I think it is sustainable as long as Lamar Jackson stays healthy. And keeps growing as a passer. I don't. I don't see any reason why it can't be sustainable. I think that's a big if, though, if if he's grown as a passer. Uh, I know everybody says he's been working on it in the off season. You know, in between jumping over jet skis on beaches and stuff like that. I need to see it though, my man. I uh, I think you know in that same uh, episode where you went, you your hot take at sixteen and zero. My my big point was them losing Marshall Yanda on the offensive line is a huge loss in my eyes. You know, a fourteen time Pro Bowler. You know, we he said arguably the one of the best linemen of our of our generation in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, I think that's going to have a huge uh, impact on them as far as the the consistency of, of their blocking with these schemes. Um, you're right, though. They have they have weapons. Marquise Brown, I, again, same with Lamar's throwing. I need to see it with Marquise Brown. You know, he missed over half the season last year. I know he's back in healthy rehab and all that good stuff, but everybody looks get good on uh, on the – practice field you know when you're wearing half pads and no one's covering you you know show me in the game time bro you know what i mean uh right he's got the potential i'll give it to him you know and we mentioned they they uh drafted the uh devin out of uh texas in the in the draft the third round uh but even after that like you got what willie sneed what, what right. are we doing with this cat uh, for sure yeah, you know, I, I still like uh, mark andrews as their tight end but you know getting rid of hayden hurst you know mark andrews got a lot of didn't get a lot of attention as much attention because you know they ran that two tight end system with Hayden Hurst, who's now in Atlanta. I think that's going to affect him a little bit too. I mean, honestly, sustainable. I don't know. I think it depends on who the defensive coordinator on the opposite side of the ball is. You know what I mean? When he gets when they get into the bigger games or whatever with the more uh, seasoned vets, as far as the defensive coordinators, I could see something like, for example, like I mean, look at Tennessee last year in that playoff game. You know, Mike Vrabel. You know, he's the head coach, but you know, he's a defensive minded coach. You know, they put it, they put it to him. You know what I mean? I think it is, uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's crazy to think that they could be, you know, the code could be cracked, but, you know, I give John Harbaugh credit though. You know, he, he's, I, in my opinion, a top five coach in the league. Uh, I would love to have him all day and all day, every day, but you know, a lot, I a lot think more. what it comes down to is in the regular season, when you're moving week to week, team to team, it's so hard to put the time and effort in the game plan to get a game plan that you need to beat a team like the, the Ravens. You know what I mean? It's, I feel like in the, in the regular season, it's so cookie cutter. You don't have a lot of time to like install your specific, specific game plan. You're kind of more worried about what you can do to make yourself succeed rather than what you can do to stop the other team. Whereas in the playoffs, you you know who you're playing. It's, it's a 100% we're game planning for this team. We got to stop them. Our whole season depends on this. And you, that's when all the real tricks come out. That's when you pull the tricks out of your sleeve that the other team's never seen. That's why I think Baltimore struggles, has well, struggled so far in the pre, the postseason. Well, to that point, though, I mean, to be honest, you know, I agree with you. It is cookie cutter. You can only do so much here and there as far as week to week. You know, you can't, you know, like you said. But in my opinion, though, when somebody, when Team X sees that Baltimore's, you know, that's, that could be some team Super Bowl. You know, if you got that 6-10 and 10 team, or whatever. Like, I feel like people are going to make a point to study up for Baltimore, you know, as far as going to week to week with all the other teams, you know, in the division or yada, yada. But yeah, to me, I feel like people, I feel like they got a target on them. You know, I know obviously, you know, Kansas City won the Super Bowl and they obviously got a bigger target. But as far as like teams in the AFC, I think a lot of people are, are 
trying to make their bones by, you know, stopping that offense, you know, making a name for themselves as a defense coordinator. But, you know, as we, as we have said this whole entire podcast, time will tell. Right. I agree 100%. So the last thing we're, Oh, go on. What I was going to say is for the next, for the next 10 minutes, we're going to introduce a brand new segment for you guys. Jake and I love talking betting. Like, we love to talk betting. We know that not everybody that listens to this podcast is a better, but we want to help out those who are. So now that the football season is here, we want to introduce a brand new segment called Fan Pods Locks of the Week. Me and Jake are each going to go through this week's matchups, pick out our one lock, give it to you guys live on air. We'll, we'll give you the number. We'll bet it up to what we like about the pick. We're even going to keep track of it. And at the end of the year, we'll see what our record is as with the picks that we have given you guys. So with that being said, Jake, I'm going to give you the floor. What's your lock of the week, man? Oh, so this is what I was going to touch on too, as far as uh, the gambling aspect of it, being the degenerate gamblers that we are, uh, I, I'll be the first to admit the first week or two of the NFL. I mean, really any sport it's hard because you, you, you have a lot of uh, pre preemptive thoughts about the team from the last season. And really, you know, there's, there's two, there's a lot of hype about certain teams and you think, you think a you, you go back to the last season and you might not even have the same team from last year. You know what I mean? Things just change so rapidly in the exactly. NFL. It's so hard to bet teams year in and year out. Yeah. How many times have we seen the 10 and 6 team the next year go 11 and 5? You know, exactly. this perfect example. This time last year, San Francisco was an underdog to Cincinnati in week two. Let me repeat that. San Francisco was being projected as the the latter team of the two with Cincinnati. So Cincinnati was favored against San Francisco week two. That just goes to show you how crazy this stuff can switch around like that. That all being said, ironically, I, we talked about in the last podcast, actually, uh, the game I like, and I, I sniped this uh, a week ago. Uh, it sounds crazy. Call me crazy. But I, I like Arizona. Arizona plus seven. So that means that they have to stay within a touchdown to San Francisco. They're playing in the Bay or Levi Stadium. I think that's in Santa Barbara now, right? Uh, they're plus seven. So they just got to keep it within a touchdown. So for everybody that doesn't know, that doesn't mean they necessarily have to win, but they just, like I said, within a, a seven points, you, you will hit your bet. I like them a lot as my lock of the week, plus seven. I think San Francisco has a lot of question marks with their wide receiver core. I mean, I know Debo Spaniel is supposed to be coming back this week. He's quote unquote healthy. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, we'll see with him. But, you know, to me, it, sounds, it seems like they're rushing him in. And for good reason, because besides him, you know, the Brandon Ayuk, their first round draft pick wide receiver, he's, he doesn't seem like he's playing this week. He's still uh, questionable. I mean, besides that, then who do you got? You know, Kittle. They'll just put three people on Kittle the whole entire game. They lost a little bit at running back, you know, with Matt Rita. And I think, uh, you know, Mostert, I mean, who knows? I think he was, he's a prodigy of that game against Green Bay. Everybody loves him. But I didn't see it from him the whole the rest of you know the regular season. So I think there's a lot of hype about San Francisco. I think that the public perception has them at the number they are. That's why they are favored by a touchdown. And the truth of the matter is, Arizona played them twice last year. Obviously, being in the same division, they were within a, a touchdown in both games that they played. You know, the one game was 24 to 20. The other one was uh, 31 to 24. So, and the fact that they got better, you know, like I said, Isaiah Simmons is there. In my opinion, might be the the best draft pick of this class. You know, again, time will tell. But uh, it's the fact that they got DeAndre Hopkins too. I know he's not super acclimated, you know, just yet with uh, Murray and all that good stuff. But to me, that's my lock of the week. That's who I like. Uh, Arizona plus seven. I actually think you're on the right side of this one, man. I, I like Arizona plus seven. They played the 49ers tough last year. The one key matchup I'm going to be watching for that could blow this whole thing up is the fact that welcome to the league, Isaiah Simmons. You're supposed to be this hybrid that can play on the line play in the back or at the back end of the defense and go up against the best tight ends of the league. That's what you're assigned to do this week. Have fun with the savvy veteran like George Kittle. Right. George Kittle could blow up and really, really hurt this team. That's the one thing that scares me is, man, what a first, what a first game for your career. You're mano a mano looking George Kittle in the eyes. Right. And that's hitting the ground running hundred percent. And then to your point too, I want to say Arizona last season was uh 32nd in the league as far as covering tight ends. But to that point though, you know, they know that and they know that Isaiah Simmons has got, you know, arguably the, the biggest challenge of his, uh, of the season already week one. And the fact that they don't have the wide receivers as a threat around them, I think that hopefully 
you know, Arizona smart enough to put some, uh, you know, give us Simmons a little bit more help than just, you know, saying, Hey bro, good luck. You know what I mean? So I just think with that point, but I hear you. That's, that's always a huge X factor. You know, when you got Kittle looking at you on the other side of the field, but for sure. uh, so what are you thinking, Dougie boy, who are you liking this week? So for me, there's a team that I think I'm going to hammer so hard in the first three weeks, because I think the narrative around them is they had a bad off season. They had a bad draft. Their quarterback is slowly but surely becoming washed. I mean, you can't turn on ESPN or Fox Sports 1 without hearing how bad Aaron Rodgers has become. And I just don't believe it. I think the public perception on the Packers is so down right now. I love Green Bay plus two and a half at Minnesota week one. I think that, like I said, public perception is down on Green Bay. So I think that people are going to be able to wait to the last minute. And I think this might even jump to three. But Green Bay going to Minnesota. Minnesota not allowed to have fans. So it takes the it takes the home field advantage out of this. I know the Packers had a terrible draft. I know the, the, the narrative around Aaron Rodgers is that he's declining. I just don't see it. The man is still great. I think we're about to start uh, Aaron Rodgers' revenge tour, and I think it starts week one with him going in and smacking Minnesota right in the mouth. I think this dude, this guy still has a lot left to prove. I also think he's playing this year to show other teams in the league, come get me. I still got what, what it takes to win. I think he proves that week one. I think they were 13-3 and three last year. They went to the NFC Championship. I don't know where all the disrespect comes from. Everyone acts like this is Minnesota's division to have. I think – Aaron Rodgers is one of the guys that is fueled by emotion. He loves hearing all this stuff about him. He's ready to go out there. He's primed and ready to perform. He's going to prove everybody wrong week one. I think you're going to be able to bet them week two and week three at a value. And then I think the market probably catches up to him after that. Good points all around. I like it. Um, so what everybody that's not degenerate gamblers like us, when Doug says that it can move up to uh, plus three, Vegas will put the odds out, you know, let's say Monday, for example, for the, the following week's games. As as the public and everybody bets the games, they kind of look at where the money's at. If it's an even kind of split, per se, it, it doesn't move so much. But if somebody's hammering one side or the public or whoever's hammering one side, they will adjust the lines to try to bait people into going the other way. I will say this, though. Uh, uh, they actually did open up at uh, plus three, and they've actually been bet to two and a half. So... You're not the only one on Green Bay right now, my man. That makes no, me no for sure. But but we also know that when it comes to Week One, all the public money comes in late. There's not people right. who are public betters who are betting in July. They're betting Sunday morning, twelve fifty five, right before the game. Ooh, Minnesota only minus two and a half. Oh, right. the Packers had a bad off season. Aaron Rodgers wash. I just watched ESPN talk about it for twenty minutes. Like the public money doesn't come in till Sunday morning. Right. And a, a theme that we will always uh, will try to ins- ins- or put into your guys' heads as the listeners is you always want to fade the public because, like Doug said, usually these cats are just a bunch of, no- you know, Susie Q and, and, jo- and Johnny Johnny G, they're just placing money because they're like, oh, I heard on the radio today. Like, no, people like Doug and I listen to this stuff like uh, constantly, listen to professionals. We get you know, different views of everybody and not that we're gurus, you know, I might have my locks might be only 16 by the end of the year, but at least, you know, I feel like generally speaking, you, you want to fade the public. So what, what we need to tell our listeners, what people need to realize is betting football is not easy, man. It's not like you can be a very, very, very knowledgeable person, be on the right side of things, have a couple bad breaks and be four and 12 in your best bets at the end of the year. It can happen. That doesn't mean that you're not not a good better. That just means that the ball didn't bounce your way, man. There's a reason the ball is shaped like a football and not like a completely round ball. This game tends to have funky things that happen, man. It, that's just how how it goes. Let's put it this way, too, to that point. The quote-unquote professional, professional gamblers, like this is what they do for a living. The best of the best – are 55 to 56% correct. That's the number, 55%, man. You, Think about that. you hit that and you make a profit. Yeah, so if you can even get in the, the 60% range, you're, you're a god, you know what I mean? It's kind of like with uh, your batting average in baseball. Anybody can hit that 333 is a legend. You can hit 55% in, in gambling on sports, you are a guru. And that just, exactly. to, your, to your point, like how crazy. I mean, Doug and I have a dozen stories about how one, one play – 
completely just ruined your spread and you just get screwed, you know? So I can't tell you how many times I've called this guy on a Sunday screaming every curse word in the book because something stupid happened and I should have covered my bet and I didn't. And don't believe me, it happens the other way around where I've had a really bad Sunday and the ball bounces the right way. And the next thing I know, I'm chipper as can be. No doubt. That pick six or, uh, you know, fumble return back for a touchdown or block field goal, you name it, man. Any of those things, dude, you're just like, what just happened? And Or vice versa, like, oh, my God, that just happened. So, you know, as the ebbs and flows of gambling, we're, we're, we're more educating the people that want to know about it. We are not condoning it because it can certainly ruin your Sundays, I promise you. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, we, you know, we, we can put a little coin in your pocket with our picks. So I like the Green Bay pick, though, Doug. I mean, they're going to be one. Of, I'm going to be looking at this this Sunday as well. You know, I got to split up those 1 p.m., 4 p.m. games, you know, some action on something. But right. but my man, I think that's that's a good spot to stop at. And, uh, you know, football season's back, baby. It starts tonight. I mean, I can't tell you how excited, you know, both of us are. I'm speaking for Doug. But anything else you want to throw in there? Good, sir. Football's back, man. Tune in next week. Uh, we're going to have more picks, more things to talk about from here on out. It's smooth sailing. There's nothing but stories to talk about. So I'm excited to see you guys next week and uh, can't wait to talk to you, man. And again, as always, thanks for listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Let us know what you guys think. We appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. And uh, we'll tune in next week. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll we'll have something to talk about. We'll have a whole week or, or a whole Sunday's worth to talk about. So thanks again, guys. You know, appreciate it. We're out. Podcast.